Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week we are off to Ireland. We're kind of a bit of everywhere. We're in Ireland. We're even in a bit of Russia at one point. Um, but we are mainly set in Ireland. And this year... This year... <laughs> oh, it's been a long week. <laughs> this week I'm going to tell you about the case of Anna Kriegel. Samantha, have you heard of this case at all? Of course I've not. <laughs> Don't be da. <laughs> I was honestly going to be so surprised if you had. I was going to be like, I'm really impressed. Mm-hmm. One day I will turn around and say yes. And you will and be impressed. But we'll it'll all be only be, Yeah, and it'll only be because it'll end up being one that I've already covered. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm sure I've done this. I'm like, wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I actually heard of this case when I was researching for another case um, and it was one that came up like you know when it comes up sometimes when you're doing it and it's like oh if you, you'd also be interested in on like Wikipedia does that happen in your Wikipedia or is that just mine? Uh, yes I think it does. Right okay that's fine because I was like maybe that's an issue actually if I'm just getting recommended killers. Um, it reminds <laughs> Yeah, that's it. It reminds me of the Ollie Stevens case, um, which if anyone's aware of the Ollie Stevens case, you know what I'm also about to say. This also involves crimes against children and committed by children. So won't take it personally if you want to skip this one. I totally respect that. Um, But yeah, there's a lot. It's all everyone in this case, basically, is a child. So just a heads up. So as I said, I'm going to tell you the case of Anna Kriegel. So Anna was actually born in Russia in 2004 and she lived in an industrial city in western Siberia. So she lived in that part of Russia. She was placed into an orphanage pretty much instantly and in 2006 she was adopted by Geraldine and her husband Patrick and they came to live in Ireland. Now they actually lived in Lexilip Kildare, which I don't know if I pronounced that right, um, but I didn't even pronounce the town Anna came from. I thought that was better not to. Um, but and I don't know if you are aware of where that is, but it's basically a town in the northeast of Ireland, and it's located next to like the River Liffey, and it's about half an hour away from Dublin. So if you were to drive, it would take you like half an hour. It's not far at all. It's like twenty k. Um, and like a train for example is like 30 minutes so it's really not far from the city centre of Dublin. Now Anna went and lived with these um, her parents in Ireland and Geraldine was a senior manager of the legal department of the CIE which is the state public transport company in Ireland um, and her husband Patrick had actually retired from teaching French in a Dublin Institute of Technology. Now Patrick was French um, which is obviously why the surname is Kriegel, which is a French name, but he obviously taught French. Which is, oh, sorry, which is obviously why the surname is this. No, it doesn't sound <laughs> French to me. Did you see I put a French <laughs> accent on there? It says, yeah, yeah, Kriegel. Like... <laughs> ah, oui, oui. <laughs> so yes, there we go. Um, so yeah, there we go. So Anna's name also is Anastasia, which is a common Russian name. Um, but I'm going to call her Anna because that's what she was called. And I'll end up stuttering over that at some point. Now, her parents had absolutely no links to Russia at all, um, but they tried to make sure that Anna kept up with her Russian culture and they kept her original name, obviously Anastasia, but they shortened it to Anna, um, and they would just kind of keep Russian traditions going in their family. 
Now, Anna was said to be quite a happy girl due most of her time in primary. Um, she had some health issues, though, that I'm going to go into. Now, the doctors found a tumour in her right ear that actually took nearly a six-hour operation to remove when she was quite young. Now, she could actually really not hear much from that year after and would always walk or stand on people's left side because that was a better side to hear from. She also had poor eyesight and actually had a scar on the back of her head from the surgery along with another on her chin from the time she fell as a child. So she had a couple of scars around her head and face, which obviously would make a child or anybody quite self-conscious. Now, she started kind of having emotional problems in primary school as that kind of came towards like the end of primary school. So for Scotland, that's like P6, P7. So when you're about 10, 11 years old. On one occasion, her parents were actually told by the school that she had told a teacher she was feeling suicidal because she was struggling to make friends. Um, so much so that her primary teachers were actually worried about her going into high school or going into the next kind of school as she got picked on. But they thought that would then eventually develop into bullying. I think when you're picked on at primary school and teased for things such as she was teased for her scars, she was teased for the way she looked. However, when that gets to high school, that can then develop into obviously more. Now, of course, bullying did begin and some of it began just before she started secondary school with online bullying and they bullied her about her height and the fact she was adopted. So when I want to mention her height, Anna was a quote from her mum, a typical Siberian, because by the time she was 13, she was actually five foot eight, which is taller than I am now at 27. So she was a very, very tall girl. Now, the parents actually went into the secondary school prior her starting to basically highlight the concerns and basically said, like, look, she's going to be a target for being bullied. Like, they made fun of the fact she was adopted, telling her that she had a fake mum and dad. Um, she got a lot of this bullying via text or online, and her parents would take screenshots of this and show it to the school. However, nothing really was done. Um, she also received messages in the summer prior starting high school by a third year student so this is someone that would be about 14 15 and they actually sent her sexually suggestive messages again were shown to the school but nothing much came from that the situation didn't improve after she actually started school and she was endlessly bullied um her parents basically painted this picture of her saying she was a really kind-hearted innocent girl who craved friendship and she did have a handful of friends i know a lot of it i'm going to speak about is the fact that anna was quite lonely and didn't have a lot of friends but she did have some including a girl who hasn't been named but she would come over for like sleepovers and to watch films but her parents can kind of recall her having like one friend i think when i was about 11 or 12 i had a lot of friends you were my main one sam but i had a lot of friends <laughs> at that time that you know like i there were so many friends going about so having one that your mum can remember is really upsetting well it's because as well at that time like it was practically well especially us because we were from a smaller ish primary school it's when like your whole class are friends or like you hang out because you're still going out to play and stuff it's not like when you get older and through high school you're like yeah I'll just stick with three you yeah exactly I mean? mm-hmm, totally so yeah it's a shame that she can only really count one And as I said, when she went to high school, it continued the whole bullying about her height, the bullying about her looks, the bullying, because she looked, obviously she looked Russian, which they have different kind of facial features from some of us, which that got picked on, her height, the fact she was adopted, she just got bullied endlessly. Kids are awful. Yeah, yeah, just want to put that out there. People are awful. Do you know what though, I I now sound like a mum, like when people would slag me off for things, my mum would be like, they're jealous. And I'd be like, mum, they're not jealous because I'm an overweight and ginger. Why would they be jealous? (laughs) But actually, I think with Anna, they genuinely were. Like, I'll put photos on the Instagram, on our Instagram, 
she was like five foot seven, five foot eight by the time she was like 11, 12. She had beautiful long hair. She had like beautiful Russian features. Like she was that typical, really gorgeous, beautiful young girl. And I think mm-hmm. people were like threatened by that because she didn't look like them. Yeah. And I think that's generally all it was. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's shit. It is really shit. Now, that Halloween, Anna had actually went and helped a young, like a disco for young children and like she loved volunteering. So she volunteered to go and do like a disco at the local community centre. Now, when she was walking home, four boys that were older than her had approached her, basically like kind of cornered her. One was repeatedly asking her for sex and then hit her on her bum. Now, a complaint was made to the school and to the Garda um, and the boy received basically a caution. But that was it. That was all that he got. Um, I'm going to just quickly stop there because I obviously mentioned the Garda. Now, the Garda is the Police and Security Service of Ireland. So they are just the police, but they are called the Garda in Ireland. Um, so if I'm mentioning Garda or Gardai is a police officer. So if you hear me mentioning them, that's what I'm talking about. Now, Anna loved to go out for walks. So she would walk for hours at a time listening to music on her blue headphones. And she almost was like always walking alone. Like her mum said that time that she picked her up from school, all these girls would be walking out in groups, but Anna would always be walking on her own. Now, a big thing in Anna's life was social media. Anna used loads of social media apps. You're talking Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, that one house party that came about, but her favourite was YouTube. So she actually had a YouTube channel and she made videos about dancing, clothes and makeup and she had over 100 or so subscribers. Now, the videos attracted loads of comments from like all over the world, which was lovely. However, she also got some really horrible comments, like one of them had told her to like go die. Another said they would actually have her executed. And this was people that she went to school with. So it wasn't like anonymous comments that were very clear about who they were and were actually saying things to like an 11, 12 year old about getting her executed. So the bullying was just uh, continuous. And actually, she ended up being suspended from school because she painted a black eye onto herself. Now... A lot of people, including her mum, think this was because she was trying to show how she actually felt inside or she was trying to get some sort of attention. But that got her suspended. Not all the bullying that she's had, like all the people that have bullied her, they didn't get suspended. But Anna got suspended Mm -hmm. for this. Oh, Um, that infuriates me so fucking much. It's mad. eh? And she'd also began setting up fake social media accounts to bully herself. So she would comment on her videos, being like, yeah, go die and put them in like fake names to like, I don't know if she was trying to like go with the crowd, even though the crowd was against her. There was something there which she was then joining into these videos. So once Geraldine found this out, she basically was like, I need all your passwords to all your apps and I'm going to check them every night, which obviously nightmare material when you're like 12 years old, if your mum wants to go through your social media, horrific. But because of the way that Anna was then harming herself, her mum had to do this. Now, one night going through her phone, Anna actually, um, Geraldine, sorry, actually found a photo of Anna of her blindfolded and tied to a chair. Now, Anna said it was part of like a prank. Her and another girl were like playing about and um, pretending she was in trouble to see if another boy would come rescue her, which he didn't. But obviously that's a mental prank to also play. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Anna started having emotional problems when she was at primary school, but these continued and her parents actually referred her to support. Now, they went to Kildare Youth Services, which initially said they couldn't see her because she had self-harmed. Now, I've obviously never mentioned the self-harm, but she'd actually just cut her arm once with scissors and she did it in imitation of a boy she knew to try and also get attention because um, Anna had no intention of hurting herself, which I know, like, please don't think that I'm being um, 
discriminative there being like she did it for attention if people self-harm that's complete illness i respect that but anna wasn't in the way trying to kill herself or really harm herself she did like one cut which her mum didn't believe was like a warning or anything because of that though she was referred to pieta house which is basically a charity for people that self-harm or in suicidal distress and she did well there but the staff did judge her as being very low risk of suicide um, now she actually because of her counselling sessions and because she would talk a lot about that incident on Halloween which really did affect her her mum and dad would have to pick her up from the majority of her counselling sessions because she was then scared of walking alone now she did six sessions there and then was accepted back to Kildare Youth Services because they didn't think she was suicidal now in general Anna wasn't very academically inclined either um, and part of this was having the fact that she was adopted from Russia at the age of two, which meant she had to then learn English and then she had to then join school. Then also the hearing problem, which then made it really difficult to learn. And also the fact is like she wasn't enjoying school. So it wasn't going to it's not like she was going to go in there and thrive and really focus on her education. So we're going to jump forward now to May 2018 on Sunday the 13th. So there was a family gathering at the Kegel's house this day, uh, Kegel's house, sorry. and. Anna was seeing like her cousins, which at that time were basically her closest friends. So they had the parents and everything downstairs and they were actually up the stairs making YouTube videos and doing what they kind of like to do. Now, the family gathering ended because the next day was a school day and everyone kind of left about 10, half 10. Now, before going to sleep, Anna had reminded her mum to wake her up the next morning in time to say goodbye because her mum left quite early in the morning. And that morning when her mum did, Anna reminded her that she needed a note to get out of school at half past two that day as she had a council appointment with Kildare Youth Services that she goes to once a week. So her mum wrote the letter, kissed Anna goodbye and off she went. And she was actually working in Dublin that day where she had a meeting. So again, as I'd said at the start, half an hour train. Now, the plan was for Anna to actually eat lunch at school before going to counselling, but she decided to come home and eat before going to an appointment. After counselling, she came home, had some oven chips, went to her room. Like it was a very basic evening for her and she phoned her mum about that time as well. Now they called and texted each other a lot during the day so when Anna rang at four um, her mum was actually in a meeting so couldn't answer so text her basically saying I'll call you shortly. Now Patrick was outside in the garden, Anna was upstairs in her room and at five to five the doorbell rang. It was a boy from Anna's school so Patrick's obviously like okay like this boy's came to Anna's school uh, went to Anna's school sorry has now came to the door and the sad part is like nobody really called for Anna so that's why they were a bit like okay now this boy is going to be referred to in this story as boy b I'm going to address that now because there is two boys who can be boy a and boy b because of their ages their ids have been hidden and have still been hidden to this day I'm going to discuss a little bit more about that at the end but I can't I don't know the name, so it's boy A and boy B. So this is boy B. Now he asked for Anna. So when Anna went up and said to, when her dad, sorry, went up and said to Anna who was at the door, she was very confused. Like she knows who this boy is, but they were in no way friends. So she goes down and speaks to him. Now Patrick saw Anna standing talking to the boy and they kind of like whispered and he didn't find this unusual. He thought, okay, they obviously don't want me to hear. So he kind of went away. She then went upstairs, got a hoodie and told Patrick that she was going out now the hoodie that she was wearing was distinctive like black and it had white writing down the sleeves which I'll go on to in a minute um, but she basically said she was going out and Patrick reminded Anna that she did have exams that week and that she was meant to be studying and she said that she won't be long she'll be back soon seconds after they left Patrick realised that he'd actually forgot to ask where he was going like where where is she actually off to I think if this was like me and you, Samantha, when we went out, I would, Samantha and I, I think we've mentioned it before, Samantha and I grew up living opposite each other, basically like from 
upstairs windows we could see into each other's windows um and we like if I said to my mum at that time like I was going out in the street my mum would would be like that's okay do you know what I mean and your mum was probably the same um yeah she didn't need to know She'd like, that. Just be like get out yeah <laughs> <laughs> your mom, you're like I'm going out mum's like good um but yeah they didn't need to know logistics whereas if we were going further I'd say well mum me and Samantha are going here or whatever but like where we grew up there was often the similar places we went and we would just go out but I think he's obviously thinking Anna never goes out so Anna doesn't have her regular places that she goes so he's actually thinking like shit where is she going so mm-hmm. he went he went to go and shout on her but as he realized they were already gone so the boy was carrying a small backpack and he was walking ahead of her and the two didn't seem to be talking so like you know if you saw me and you out together in the street we're probably walking having a conversation and they were walking towards the direction of St Catherine's Park. Now, St Catherine's Park is in Kildare, and it's basically 200 acres of woodland. So when I, this is going to be mentioned a lot, but like it's huge, like it's almost like a big kind of forest, almost. It's actually known as like one of the biggest parks. So when I get talking about it, when I first started researching, I was picturing a park, like a couple of swings, grass. No, it's huge, 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 big park. Now, about 5.10, Anna's mum's heading home from the train, so she gives her a phone. Anna doesn't answer, it goes straight to voicemail, which isn't normal for Anna, but her mum's like, it's fine, I'm on the train home, I'll get when I get there. Now, she'd actually got the train because of her meeting in Dublin, so she was home earlier, and she gets home and Patrick's in the garden, and he's basically like, oh, Anna's away out with boy B. And Geraldine says, quote, I became immediately concerned because he has nothing to do with her. Nobody calls for Anna, which I mentioned earlier. So her mum's like, uh-huh. About half past five, she texts Anna, basically saying, home now. Now, there's no response. She talks it over with Patrick before sending another message a few minutes later, basically saying, answer me now or I'm calling the police. Now, Geraldine did say she didn't have any intention of calling the police. It was mainly to get Anna's attention. But as you can, you're probably thinking, this is quite overkill. Like, I don't think I've ever had a text from mum being like, come over, I'll call the police. But Geraldine is saying that Anna's never gone out before. And she said she'd got in such a state. Anna had been only gone for half an hour and she said, I knew I was being a paranoid mother, but the fact is she'd gone out. We don't know who this person is that she's gone out with and we don't know where she's gone. So I can imagine her mum is getting quite distressed. Now, Geraldine actually decides to walk to St Catherine's Park and actually goes out um, to look for her and she can't see any signs of Anna. She then jumps in the car and starts driving around, basically going through the local estates where Anna goes for her walks. But again, she couldn't find her. Now, once she gets home, Geraldine and Patrick take to Facebook and actually find out Boy B's surname. Now, they know of him vaguely, but have no idea where he lives, who his parents were, like where they could locate him. Now, she, Geraldine, ran around trying to find his address, but nobody knew his address. Now, they actually went to a friend's house, Patrick and Geraldine, a man called John, who was a retired detective. And he basically said to them, go straight to the Garda. Um, at that point, she'd been gone for four hours and they'd had no contact from her. So they go to Lexi Lip Garda station and basically Geraldine explains it was highly unusual for Anna not to get in touch. She said that she would always respond, even if she wasn't talking to you, she would respond telling you she wasn't talking to you, which I love that. Now, the Garda did take her seriously, but there was no reason to be immediately concerned. Now, like, to kind of explain why, every week they receive dozens of missing person reports, but a majority of them turn up within a few hours. Now, the first job of the Garda was to basically visit the house of Boy B and they managed to locate his address on their computer system, obviously. Now, the Garda go to his house that evening and Boy B told them that he had called for Anna. That's correct. They'd gone to the park and he had left her there at 5.40. Now, 
that's his statement. The police have no reason to disbelieve that. He was quite open when he said that. So the next day, Anna's family get up and basically start resuming the search. They're joined by friends and family who walk the local area and they speak to anyone they can think of that would know where Anna is. Now, by now, the guard are worried and a missing person investigation has begun. Now, Sergeant John Dunn was tasked with returning to Boy B's house to question him further. Now, this time, Boy B said that he had called for Anna the previous day on behalf of his friend, Boy A. Now, Anna was known to kind of fancy or have a crush on Boy A, but he wasn't interested and he wanted to meet up with her to basically tell her, like, I'm not interested, stop fancying me, right? So Boy B brought Anna to the park where Boy A is and then he said, I left them to it to have their conversation. I didn't need to be there. I went home and did my homework. Now, Inspector Dunn brought, uh, sorry, Detective, Sergeant, sorry, promoting them in all different ways. Sergeant Dunn Dunn then brought Boy B to the park so the teenager could actually show him exactly where he went. So he showed the guarder where they'd entered the park, where they'd met Boye and where he had left. Now, the guarder marked all of this locations using a GPS function on the radio before dropping the voice home. So they now have a mark of the route that Anna would have taken with Boy B, at least. So they then need to find out what happened with Boye. Now, at this time, going back to Anna's family, a guarder family liaison officer is appointed to keep Anna's family informed about the search. Now, standard procedure at this stage was to issue a media appeal. So they provided some photographs of their daughter, including one wearing the hoodie that I spoke about. Now, it was on the late afternoon of Tuesday, May the 15th, when the wider public first hear about the disappearance of Anna. So that has been kind of two days, a day or so since she went missing. Now, as I said earlier, the Garda sends out missing person reports like daily. So just to say the week before Anna's, it issued three all teenagers that had gone missing and all three of those people were found safe and well. So the guard are like, look, it happens a lot. Um, hopefully she'll get back, but time is ticking. And obviously, you know, they say the first 72 or the first 40 hours are so crucial. We're starting to get past that point. Now, after the appeal goes out about Anna, loads of leads begin to pour in. And the guard have to obviously have to follow these all up, which we've spoke about in cases before. It's great when people send in leads. It's amazing. But it's sometimes ends up taking so so long because there's loads of leads like one of them said they'd seen her in south dublin another said they'd seen her in the departure area of dublin airport one said that they'd saw her on the monday of may 15th by a nearby cul-de-sac these all need to be chased up and all of these were found out to not be like positive ids of anna now back and looking Dunn and his colleagues actually continued to search the area and after walking apart with boy b they decided to search the railway line but found nothing now, when he was walking back, um, Sergeant Dunn, he was actually stopped by a man and his son. Now, the man had said, look, I heard about Anna going missing and I suggest you check like the back of the local sewage treatment plant as teenagers hang around there. Dunn's like, thanks very much. Great, great, great. As he, like later that day, realises the man that stopped him was Boy A's dad and Boy A. So that was actually who stopped him and spoke to him. And suggested where he goes, right? Which is so weird. Like, I just thought, I was like, that's bizarre. Like, I've never really heard of that before. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know when, I'm not obviously jumping to conclusions here, but you know when the murderer gets involved and it's like, oh, maybe you should check there. And people are like, oh, yeah, great. Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm just wanting to help. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So at that stage, both boys were treated as witnesses, as you just said, not suspects. And they had no reason to believe they'd hurt Anna or Anna had been hurt at all. But because they were the last two people to have seen her, they needed all the information they could have. 
So on Tuesday afternoon, a decision was made to take boy B back to the park with boy A to show them the route. Now, the boys led the way as he followed with boys A's dad. Now, as they walked, Dunn noticed that boy B was taking them on a different route from the one he'd showed them earlier. So this time he's taking them a different route from what's on the GPS. Now, the boys came to a stop on a path near the BMX track. And at this point, they exchanged a look, which would later be described as a glance. And it was the first indication that there was something going on there. Dunn said, like, the boys were looking at each other as if, like, shit, shit, shit. And they couldn't know why. So it was decided then that formal statements were going to be taken so they could clarify the exact movements of the boys. Now, Boy B had told the Garda the same story as I said earlier. I have no clue what's happened. Basically, he said the first time he heard something was wrong is when the Garda came to his door the next day. Now, Boy A also gave a detailed statement about his movements. He said that Boy B was one of his best friends and that he called to his house after school. Boy A was doing his chores, so they arranged to meet in the park. When Boy B arrived and there was Anna, a girl who knew from school, but he said he didn't know her that well. Now, he told the Garda at one stage, Anna said, I have something to ask you. I was wondering if you wanted to go out with me. He said he was surprised as it came out of nowhere. And he basically told her, quote, gently that he didn't want to go out with her. He said, I'm sorry, but I'm not interested. She didn't answer. She said nothing. She basically walked off and looked annoyed. Now, by this stage, Boy B had gone um, said Boye and he kind of walked on alone uh, and went his own way says Boye he then says as he was walking home he was attacked by two males he says that one grabbed them by the shoulder and the other pulled him to the ground and then they both started kicking him so he's never mentioned this before but after he left Anna he then got jumped basically is a phrase to use um, and they both started why would you, you mention that yeah. like where's his bruises <laughs> Well, well, that's the thing. He's then like, like it's then just came out of nowhere that he's like, oh yeah, I was all of a sudden jumped. Yeah. Oh, I um, totally forgot. I was jumped about two hours ago. Like, no, you'd remember that. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No. You're absolutely right. No, generally, you're absolutely right. So, the boy did have injuries consistent with assault his arm and leg were injured and his face had a cut but it just didn't feel right because he said that the attack ended when he quote got up and kicked one of them in the head causing both of them to just run away so uh, he must he have a high kick yeah <laughs> exactly exactly and then karate well exactly i'm also just like again why have you never blue. thought a message like why have you never thought of saying this mm-hmm. crazy like i'm not saying it's not true but I'm just saying, maybe mention it sooner. Yeah, exactly. So don't really understand that, but alas. So obviously, Garda then have to be assigned to investigate this assault. So Boy A was taken to Garda headquarters and basically gave off like a photo fit of the attackers. None of the witnesses in the park that day saw anyone matching this. CCTV cameras also didn't pick up anyone with this description. Now, there's obviously, we're getting to Wednesday. And there's a bit of concerns that Anna might have been harmed or even killed. So at this point, Inspector Mark O'Neill is stationed to basically become the lead in the missing person investigation. And everyone coming out of duty on stations in Dublin and Kildare were basically briefed. Like, this is the main thing that is going on. Now, they call in their specialist units, such as Subaqua Unit, and they're searching the river, etc. And they actually had 60 members in looking to aid this operation from the civil defence. Now, they were trying to use their like mobile phone traffic to see if they could find Anna's movements, but again, they unfortunately couldn't. 
Now, the police decided to search an abandoned farmhouse in St Catherine's Park. So this was Glenwood House. It was built in about the 1800s and it sits over just 100 acres of farmland at the edge of St Catherine's Park. Sorry. Now, it was just completely abandoned. It was called a protective structure because of its architectural significance. But the house was basically a ruin by the May of 2018. Now, it was one of those places that a lot of like, the young people of this area would go. Like, there was loads of bottles and cans everywhere. Like, they would just go and, like, hang out there because you couldn't be seen by, like, the guard on their, like, roots. Now, the roof had collapsed in different places. Rooms had been gutted. It had been in talks of becoming a care home, but nothing had been done about that. So, on the morning of Thursday, May the 17th, they go and have, a like, a specially trained four-person search team off this house. Now, they basically went and searched the whole park. And when they got to the house, they started, like, they went in, basically. Now, they searched the outbuildings and Garda Sean White went into the main house to a rear porch. Now, at the end of one of the corridors, there's a big room, which is now going to be called Room 1 for the rest of this case. Now, it was dark inside because the windows have been boarded up and the only light came through a hole in one of the planks. Now, he could make out what he thought was a figure. He believed it was like a mannequin or, quote, something terrible. It's never a mannequin. So he also could smell dried blood. Now, he called out but got no response. So in line with what he's meant to do, he went over into the room and he called for assistance. Now, in room one was Anna Kriegel's body, naked except for her black socks. Now, he believed something was covering Anna's face. But when he leaned closer, he actually realised it was her hair. And it was like stuck to her face as if she had been like thrashing around. Her clothes and pieces of her iPhone were scattered around the room. Nearby, there was a cement block and a large stick, both which were covered in blood. There was also blood staining on the walls and on the carpeted floor. The blood had obviously come from like her and splattered up onto the walls. A long length of insulation tape was also wrapped around her neck and she had three fingers inside the tape as if she was trying to get it off or struggle with it getting put on. So this obviously quickly becomes a crime scene. A local doctor is called to formally announce the death and within an hour the family have been told that Anna's body has been found. Now they had to go to the morgue that evening to unfortunately make the formal identification and I'm going to tell you a bit more about the um, autopsy and everything now which obviously I've warned you at the start it's going to be crimes against children but this part is obviously quite upsetting. Now, she had a huge amount of injuries. She had about 50 different injury sites across her body. There was bruises and lacerations all over her body as well and the most serious to her head, face and neck. She had died from blunt force trauma to the head and neck. There was also signs of a compression to her neck, but there was no evidence to say that was the tape, so the belief she'd also been strangled. Other injuries suggest that there had been penetrations or attempted penetrations of her vagina with something, but they couldn't determine what it was. Um, They also couldn't tell if she'd been conscious at the time this happened. Now, they suspected that she had been beaten to the ground with a heavy stick and then was hit three or four times with a heavy object, such as the concrete block. She was then pulled towards the window so there could be some light where she was then sexually assaulted. Now, Anna had false nails on that were scarred all around the room to show that she'd been fighting back so much that her false nails had also come off. Now, there was nothing immediately pointing towards the suspects. All the fingerprints and blood belonged to Anna. But unfortunately, forensic scientists made a grim discovery when they examined her clothes and found that her top was covered with semen stains that obviously weren't there when she left the house. The missing person investigation obviously now becomes a murder investigation and Inspector O'Neill is appointed senior investigating officer with 20 of the Garda working directly under him on this case. Now, of course, the focus immediately returns back to the two boys. 
Now, they've also had discrepancies of seeing what route they came in, seeing what the plan was. So they, they need to get proof that at least one of them was at the scene. Now, this came a few days later when the Forensic Science Ireland reported that Anna's blood was found on Boy A's shoes. Now, they had already been taken in for investigation after he'd been assaulted by the two men in the park. So if he'd never said that, his shoes wouldn't have been taken in. But there you go. Now, they had also taken the boy's phone. Now, on the phone, they found like some evidence that they believe was to do with Anna's death. They found a screenshot of a list of YouTube videos, including the 15 most gruesome torture methods in history, horror films that will blow everything away, and Until Dawn, Get Jessica's Clothes Off, which was a reference to a popular horror video game. There was also results for Jeff the Killer, um, which is basically about a teenager who murders his family. He also had a search, searched abandoned places and looking, because he's obviously an idiot. Now, a week after Anna's body was found, they actually were granted a warrant to arrest both boys. Now, both boys were told the night before, so on May the 23rd, that their sons were planning on being arrested the next morning. Now, they were asked to bring the boys into the station and they weren't told what it happened that their houses were going to be searched immediately after the arrest. Now, they basically had to do this with like the utmost discretion. Um, so they used like rental cars instead of patrol cars. They wore plain clothes, uh, put the evidence in black sacks before they were taken out into like evidence bags. So when Boy A was arrested, he was taken to a station in West Dublin and he was with his dad and his solicitor. Now, as they had done with Boy B, they asked him if he knew the difference between right and wrong. So I'm actually going to read that out because I think it kind of like it's kind of it could be pointless in some cases. But I think in this case, it shows they're like like they're childless almost like because he said that doing something right is leaving the door open for somebody. But tripping somebody up or stealing a chocolate bar is wrong, is what Boy had said, which I think that shows how young he is, that that's what is right and wrong to him. Like those are quite like infant things to say is right and wrong. During the interview, Boy A gave the guard basically much the same story that they'd heard from Boy B. He met Anna in the park that day. He wasn't with her until the lead up and the time she was reported missing. When he was seen on CCTV, he said at one point that two people caught on camera could be the ones that had beat him up. So two people were seen on camera and he was like, I think that's who beat me up. And that was actually Boy B and Anna. So he's talking shit. Um, when they told him that Anna's blood was found on his boots, he said, quote, are you joking me? You can't be serious. He then asked to stop for a bit after finding out this information as he thought he was going to be sick, so he had to go and get some water. The detective showed Boy A photographs of the tape around Anna's neck and he said he'd never seen tape like that. They also asked about the search results on his phone and he said that the torture method result came up when he was searching for horror films online. He said he wasn't interested in torture films, but a lot of his responses were the no comment or I don't know kind of answers. Now, Boy B was also being interviewed at this time. Now, he had told the guard that Anna had gone into the room with Boy 1. Now, despite being told to leave by Boy A, Boy B had decided to explore the rest of the house. Now, this is when a different story comes out. Boy B then basically says that he heard Anna scream. He then hears the sound of shuffling, which made him run to room 1, where he saw Boy A kind of flip, he says. He then described a judo-type move to the detectives as he had managed to flip Anna. Boy A says that he, Boy B said that Boy A started to choke her and began pulling off her clothes. He said Anna was crying and saying, "No, no, please don't do this." He said at this point both Boy A and A, uh, Boy A and Anna, sorry, turned to look at him, which made him run away. He said that Boy A had a blank look on his face. Now, in this interview with A, the detectives then read out the pages to Boy A and say, "Like this is what Boy B said." 
and he says, boy B is lying. That's all. So on the afternoon of Thursday, May the 25th, 10 days after Anna's murder, boy A is charged with murder. Neither he or his dad say anything. They don't make any reply to the charges. They just kind of take it. Now, the Garda normally announces arrests and murder investigations shortly after they happen, especially in high-profile cases, which this was. However, they made an exception. They basically didn't tell the public until Boye was basically in court. So it meant that there was no like vigilante behaviour against the families. It means that the, the press and all that weren't outside the court and they'd actually put patrols in to make sure the families are safe. Now, an hour later, he is brought in a Garda van basically with his parents to the children court in Dublin. Now, he appeared in the courtroom with his parents and there was also two solicitors, two detectives, the journalist, uh, the judge, John O'Connor, and the boy's granddad came as well. Now, the judge told the boy's mother she could sit behind beside him if she wished and she actually did. She sat with him the whole time and held his hand. Now, the family wanted bail, but Judge O'Connor had no power to grant bail in a murder case, so they'd have to apply to the High Court on a later date. So he was remanded to um, Oberstown, which basically, just to kind of explain what that is, it is basically a children's detention campus um, in Ireland. It's just kind of outside of Dublin, so that's where that is. Um, the boy looked confused as he was ushered out of the courtroom, so he was basically um, away. That's where he was taken to. Now, the evidence against Boyer started coming quickly once he was charged. So during the search of his house, they actually found a backpack in his bedroom containing gloves, knee pads, shin guards, a scarf-like snood and a homemade mask. This was soon dubbed by the Garda as the murder kit. Now, the gloves were partially important because this makes sense why there is no fingerprints around it. So that makes total sense. Anna's blood was also found in the outside of the mask, as well as on the knee pads, gloves and the backpack. Now, there was two phones found in Boise's bedroom and they had over 12,000 images on them, a vast majority of which were pornographic. One featured a man in a balaclava looking at a semi-naked woman. Another showed a man choking a woman as another man watched. The phone also showed several pornographic videos that had been deleted, one referring to a woman called Anastasia, another reference to Russian teenagers. There was also, unfortunately, searches for child porn, horse porn, and dead boy prank an abandoned haunted school is another search that he made. Now, when the analysis of the semen on Anna's top showed that actually... Sorry, had... I, I know mm -hmm. I know this is important, but what's horse porn? Samantha, do we have to go through that? Yeah, well, does it involve a human? That's all I need to know. Yeah, I think it'll be like bestiality. Okay, thank you. Carry on. Google it if you want. Anyway, so... <laughs> um. Yeah, they basically, as Samantha really instructed, the semen on Anna's top matched Boye's. So the guard got permission to charge him with also aggravated sexual assault um, because they believed there was extreme violence involved. Now, new, this new evidence means they can also re-arrest Boy B and get him in for further questioning. So Boy B is arrested again on the 8th of July and is brought into the station where he's interviewed another three times. Now, Boy B said his co-accused wore the mask, which he described as a zombie mask that, um, when he attacked Anna. Now, Boy B gave the Garda some more details about what he saw, including that he'd entered the house alone and first picked up the stick there, but he continued to deny any involvement in the attack. So he was like, I picked up the stick that was used to hit Anna, but I didn't hit her with it. Now, he also told the Garda of a conversation he had had with Boye the month before Anna's murder that basically went like Boye being like, I want to kill somebody. And Boy B was like, nah, like, we're not doing that. You're silly. And then Boy B said, who are you planning on killing? To which Boye said, Anna Kriegel. So he had said that a few months before. Now he said he just thought his friend was joking 
and he didn't think his friend was planning to do that on May the 14th. Now, he did actually lie to the guard of the day after Anna went missing, of course, and he said that the reason he did this is he was just trying to forget about it and pretend nothing happened. Now, Detective Garda Daly basically put it to Boy B that he had let a, quote, charade play out in the days after Anna went missing, and people searched for her while he knew she was lying in the abandoned house. The detective suspected that Boy B still wasn't telling the truth, but they had to either charge him or release him. So he was released, but four days later, he was rearrested and charged with Anna's murder. He made no reply. Now, things moved really, really quickly once the two are charged. Now, there's usually a delay of about 18 to 24 months between point of charge and the beginning of a murder trial. But this was like sped up because it was um, involving a long list of witnesses and obviously children. So the Central Criminal Court in Ireland were asked to clear a non-negotiable four weeks for the trial in the first half of 2019. So you're talking like a year later. Now, Boy A would spend more than two months in custody before being granted bail in the High Court on the 2nd of August. And Boy B spent just over a month in custody and he got bail on August 21st. Now, both children were heavily supervised and this trial started in April 2019. Now, the legal age of criminal responsibility in Ireland is 12, but this drops to 10 when rape or murder, murder sorry, is alleged. So they were both 13 at the time. So they were actually the youngest people in the history of Ireland to be charged with murder. Now, due to their ages, some changes were made. So the judge and barristers wouldn't wear their wigs or robes. The accused would be allowed to sit with their parents in the public gallery instead of the docks or in the like front bit. The boys and their families would also be allowed to enter and exit the court through the side entrances. They had separate rooms that provided for each of them when they could unwind and consult with their lawyers during downtime. Now, in accordance with the Children's Act, the general public would also not be permitted at the trial to protect the accused, accused identities and to make the courtroom less intimidating. Media were also asked to keep their numbers down with the implications that the court would intervene if necessary. What's your thoughts on that? Because this is where I'm like, they are being tried with murder at the High Court, but all these changes are being made for the age. What, what do you think about that, Sam? To be honest, it's it's mixed because when you started saying all this, I was like, are you for fucking real? They're like murderers. But then that part at the back of your head, you're like, okay, they're children. Maybe this is the right thing because they are children at the end of the day. But then also they murdered someone. It's really hard. Like I don't have, it's not black and white, I would say. Um I really don't know. I, you know me though. I'm like, it's hard. Them. It is hard punish because, them. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I'm like they are being charged for murder, but I'm like they are children. Like I think it is talking like the Jamie Bulger case, which I go on to in a wee bit. But yeah, well, you don't say too much because you know it could be an episode in the future. Oh, maybe oh. a couple of years time. <laughs> yep. So. Before the trial, Boy A's lawyers actually applied to have the indictment served, like to have an indictment served, sorry, which is basically to have Boy A tried separately to Boy B. Now, the reason because of this was the jury was bound to be prejudiced against Boy A because they'll hear Boy B repeatedly accuse him during his interviews because he Boy B is basically saying like, yeah, he did it. Now, just to say, which is a bit of court knowledge for you, like interviews of one defendant can't be used against the co-accused. So basically, Boye's defendants team, defense team, sorry, argued that the jurors couldn't help but be influenced by this. Now the application failed, and it said it would be a distortion of the factual background if the entire factual factual matrix of what happened in the lead up to the death of Miss Priego was not set out full to the jury. So that was what the real was. They're going to be charged together. They're going to be tried together. 
and they basically said to the jury like we cannot use what boy b is saying in evidence but you're going to hear it anyway so he gave them a warning basically saying not to rely on it blah 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 now obviously compared to boy a boy b's um, defense was much easier to kind of work out no forensic evidence linked him to the murder scene most evidence against him was actually from his interviews meaning like actually if he hadn't said that boy a had killed anna he wouldn't have they would never probably known and they probably couldn't have charged him because boy a would have been found guilty anyway with the forensic evidence if boy b had basically been like i didn't see any of it i wasn't there there was nothing to put him to that case but because he said he witnessed it he's obviously now being charged now, the priority for the defence of Boy B was to basically minimise the damage done in those interviews because he'd obviously kept lying to detectives. Like, the Garda had also, which I know we talk a lot about, like, we've done cases before, like, the Garda Fives, the police were so, so corrupt in their interview skills. However, the Garda had actually followed the rules perfectly, meaning basically none of the interviews could get excluded from the trial because they didn't, they weren't coercive in any way, they weren't oppressive in any way, they did what they were meant to do. Now, in early 2019, the legal team of Boy B basically asked a psychologist who specialised in child trauma to examine Boy B and the interview tapes. Now, when he did this, the boy was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, sorry, PTSD, as a result of witnessing the attack on Anna. Now, the PTSD contributed to the boy telling the guard of the untruths in an effort to protect himself. The doctor said that it was in his opinion that Boy B had no knowledge of what was going to happen to Anna that day. He said that Boy B was also sexually naive and had gone into the house with Anna and Boy A in the hope of watching them, quote, snogging. Now, the defence planned to call a witness to, like this doctor to explain Boy B's lies were a result of the trauma rather than his effort to hide guilt. Now, this, however, calling him as a witness carried risk as during Boy B's session with the doctor, he'd actually given him information that he hadn't told the Garda. So he basically had told the doctor that he saw boy A standing over Anna with his trousers open during the attack. And he said that he saw Anna gasping before going silent. Now, if he then gave that defence evidence, it would be likely open to cross-examination because boy B had continued to lie up to the Garda until his final interview because he had never told the Garda that, but he told the doctor that. So they actually decided not to use the doctor in the trial because it would have actually been worse for boy B. Hope we kept up with that. It's a lot of information. Now, back to what actually matters, Anna's parents. So Anna's parents actually, accompanied with their victim support volunteer, um, were present for every moment of the trial from basically the very start to the very end. Now, when they wanted water or anything, they would actually ask someone else to leave to get it for them so they didn't miss any of the court. Geraldine was seen taking notes constantly, um, and if not, she was seen holding her husband's hand, basically. Now, there was a lot of evidence which was really upsetting for families, but Geraldine and Patrick remained throughout the whole testimony um, the whole autopsy process, the injuries inflicted on Anna, but boy A and boy B were actually excused from the court during the autopsy day because of the graphic nature and evidence, which I find really, really interesting. That that was that too, is strange. Yeah, it was too difficult for them to hear, even though they're being accused of doing it. That's one of the ones that I was like, I don't understand. That's so so interesting. Yeah, so and then also, what if they had saw all of it, like they'd been made to be shown at all? Possibly then that might have made them feel even more guilty and they could have, like, you know, splurted out the truth, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. it could be if Boye was guilty, it could be that he'd done it in, like, a moment of madness and actually can't even remember what he's done. Do you know, that has happened before where people are like, I couldn't tell you if I did this mm-hmm. or not. And then he sees those photos mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, but yeah, 
fair enough. Totally. So there were seven weeks of um, of evidence and the accused actually sat beside both of their parents during this time. They sat in different parts of the courtroom from each other and were actually never seen interacting. In the court, boy A often rested his head on his dad's shoulder and boy B was seen holding his mum's mom, his hand like the whole time. The judge insisted on 15-minute breaks every hour or so for the young boy's benefit. Now, there was only one major interruption in the whole seven weeks, and that was on day 15, when basically Boy B started having a panic attack. An ambulance was called and the court was adjourned for the day. And this occurred when the juries were watching videos of Boy B's Garda interviews, where he was basically admitted to lying to the Garda. So no reason was given for the panic attack apart from the fact they watched these videos. So from then on, the court days actually stopped earlier at two rather than quarter past four to make the day shorter for the boys. Anna's parents were among the first witnesses to be called um, by the prosecution counsel. Now, as well as talking the jury through Anna's last two days, Geraldine and Patrick actually kind of put a name to Anna and humanised her. They described her, her personality, the hobbies she liked, like they actually made her a person because um, they actually never really saw any photos of Anna live. So they had to have like a, they had then had a clearer picture of Anna on their minds. They, the jurors obviously in our parents. Now, all four of the accused boys' parents gave evidence of their interactions with the accused before and after Anna's death, but none actually used the witness box to proclaim the boys' innocence. The furthest any of them went to that was actually Boys B's father, who said his son wasn't capable of crime like this, but none of them actually said straight out like they didn't do it. Now, there were seven child witnesses as well in the case, and they actually all called in from video link to save them having to come into a live courtroom. Um, it was also helpful because they were able to use a computer-generated 3D model of Glenwood House, which was created by Forensic Science Ireland, which basically showed the house and it showed where objects were found, such as the murder weapons, where Anna's clothes were found, where the blood, blood splatters was. So it gave the jury the closest possible sense of being at the crime scene without actually having to go to the crime scene. So a lot of that mobile phone evidence wasn't able to be used in court, annoyingly, against Boyer. But even without that, they managed to make a really strong case against him, which consisted of three main elements. Obviously, the forensic evidence that linked him to the scene, the CCTV of him being seen in the park, and the lies he told the guardie, especially the ones about being beat up by the two unidentified persons. Because in case we hadn't recapped, that was a lie. Now, the case against Boy B also had its strengths, so it was relying kind of mainly on the guardie questioning to the extent like how... He basically, it was 16 hours worth of interviews of Boy B and how he just kind of lied through a majority of it. That was like a main part. Now, jurors normally actually only receive written transcripts of interviews, which I don't know if you knew that. But the prosecution believed it was vital for them to see Boy B's demeanour and how like he was interviewed eight times and how he actually looked and how he was speaking and how he kind of acted in his interviews, which is just a kind of fact for you there. Now, the entire case against Boy B would essentially boiled down to the fact of did he know boy A was going to kill Anna? Did he believe her when he said that day that he was planning on killing Anna or did he think he was just joking? Now after the seven weeks of evidence, prosecution closed their case and neither boy A or B gave any evidence or took to the stand. Now jurors began deliberating on the afternoon of Wednesday, June the 12th and they would remain deliberating for 14 hours and 24 minutes over the course of five days. Now, jurors had been asked to consider the case against the boys separately, but it was kind of made clear that the verdicts were going to come together. It wasn't like they were going to give their verdicts, like, you know, you can, as we said, they're being tried together. It's not like they're going to then say, actually, we think boy A is guilty of blah, blah, and boy A is guilty of blah, blah. So at two, just after 2pm on Tuesday, the June 18th, the jurors had reached a verdict. Now, while reading the verdict out, Boy B had sat with his eyes shut while clutching his mum's arm. Now, he appeared to be doing breathing exercises. 
and Boy A's father actually put his arm around his son at that time. Boy A was found guilty of the murder and aggravated assault of Anastasia Kriegel and Boy B was found guilty of her murder. These were unanimous verdicts by the jury. The courtroom fell silent for about 30 seconds. Boy A was crying while, uh, while Boy... While Bo, this Boy A and Boy B is getting to me. While Boy B held his head in his hands. Now Boy A's parents were also crying and hugged their son but stayed silent. However, Boy B's father began shouting. The father slammed the courtroom door as he left before returning a few seconds later and began hugging his wife and son. He then shouted, quote, you bunch of scumbags, you bunch of pricks. He's an innocent boy. Um, he said this and he started clapping sarcastically at the court as the two teens were led away. Now, Geraldine Kriegel had sat with her eyes closed as the verdict was read out. Now, she and Patrick remained very calm and very composed. They basically stood up, nodded to the jurors as they left the room and some of the jury were actually seen smiling and nodding back, which was a bit like, mm, but do you know what? I think it's probably a natural reaction. Boy A and Boy B were both remanded in custody to Oberstown until sentencing on July 15th, 2019. Now, throughout the trial, there was widespread anger, much of it because of social media. And some of it was saying that Anna Kriegel's life had been basically put on display. Everything about her, everything, you know, even the whole crush on this boy, everything about her. But Boy A and Boy B got complete anonymity. And was that fair? Many wondered if the boys would have been named on conviction, but they actually won't be. And it'll be a criminal offence to ever ID them as Anna's killers. They will continue to be known publicly as Boy A and Boy B which is basically what the journalist has settled on just before the trial began. That wasn't done by the Garda. Um, we know that through the evidence, Boye was a bit of an unusual child. He'd never been in trouble. He didn't drink or do drugs, but he was known for being a bit unusual. Spent a lot of time online, like horror films, special effects. Um, he was described as strange, weird, and not a rational thinker. Boy B um, was actually quite bright. He excelled at primary school. Um, he struggled at home, but he was good at school. He started to struggle more with increased homework. He loved to make things with his hands and was known as a particularly skilled with technology. So in May 2020, Boyer, who was 15 at the time, was actually assaulted by a fellow inmate suffering minor injuries. The pair were then transferred to an adult prison upon turning 18 last year, 2022. I couldn't tell you what adult prison, in, prison they're in, we're not able to know. They both got life sentences with a, a minimum of, I actually couldn't even find what the minimum was. I believe it's about 15 years for one. But still, I think I'm going to go into that at the end. Sorry, I was going to jump ahead there, but I've got things to tell you first. Back to Anna. So Anna's funeral took place on the 31st of May 2018 in the crematorium in Dublin. Her family requested that mourners wear sparkle or colour in Anna's memory and the donations be made to the Russian-Irish adoption group. A Russian flag and a Matryoshka doll were placed in her coffin. Have I said that right? Matryoshka. It's like the traditional Russian doll because actually that's the doll that her parents used to tell like their family members they were adopting a Russian girl, which is lovely. After her Aww. the trial, the parents spoke outside the court. Her father said, quote, Anna was our strength. She was a dream come true for us and she always will be. She will stay in our hearts forever, loved and forever cherished. We love you, Anna. A charity to help other teenagers was set up in honour by her family with the Russian Irish adoption group called Anna. Anna's Network of Adolescence is what it means. Um, now, I'm going to talk to you a bit about Denise Fergus, who is James Bulger's mum. She expressed concerns about the decisions not to name the killers because they will never be named and they will one day be released, most likely, and remanded into society with different IDs. Now, Anna's mum, not Anna's mum, sorry, James' mum also said, because we know Samantha will tell us one day in the James Bulger trial, but obviously they went, one of them went on to reoffend that should they be named or should they not be named? It's obviously a huge kind of thing. 
Samantha, what is your thoughts? I personally think they should be named. I don't see why they have any right. They murdered someone or one of them murdered someone and one looked on, you know, whatever it is. But they've been proven proven guilty of murder. And it, I don't care yep. how old they are now. Like, they should be named. And I'll, I'll say the same as well when we do the James Wilder trial. Like getting this whole new identity and living your life and doing whatever so you can reoffend or you might not reoffend. like I'm not saying you know people don't reform but you, you should have no right totally. to not be known and a, a girl's lost her life a family's lost their kid she's named she their life's ruined why do you get a better life mm-hmm. totally totally and I think there was you know there's a lot of things that came about, like Ollie Stevens, for example. Obviously, they were two boys that were sentenced and they didn't have their names released. But Ollie Stevens also had a girlfriend that was apparently involved and her name has started to be leaked somewhere when I was reading it. I'm not going to tell your name in case I get done. But I think her name was able to be leaked, whereas there's now a criminal like put in place that it'd be illegal to say their names. So their names will be hidden and they will get new identities and their names will never be known. I don't think it'll ever be shared, which I think is really scary and I do find it really scary that they could then do like it's the same with James Bulger where they could go on to marry somebody that maybe has kids whatever when they have done that in the past and actually because of reformed it doesn't need to come out so good topic if people want to give their thoughts and feelings on do you think they should be named or not like I I think it's one of those that some people are going to say yes some people are going to say no it's, it's a good debate but I think yeah it's a funny one 